Today we're starting a brand new series called Parenting for the Long Haul. And uh, the Bible actually speaks a lot to parenting. And you might have been gifted these verses, maybe on a cross stitch, or maybe you saw at your grandma's house or something like that. But if you've thought about parenting in the context of the Bible, maybe you've heard a couple of these. So maybe you've heard Proverbs 22, 6, direct your children to the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Oh, cool. That sounds good. Let's see what the next one says. Next one says, Proverbs 1, 8 through 9 says, My child, listen when your father corrects you. Amen. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. Amen. What you learn from them will be a crown to you, or will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. That's some good stuff. Let's keep going. Psalm 127.3 says, Children are a gift from the Lord. Sometimes they are a reward from... I'm just kidding. All the time. All the time. All the time. God Almighty. All the time. And they are a reward from him. And finish this out with Ephesians. It says this. Um, it says, uh, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. So a lot of times we're looking for like, okay, Bible, how can you parent my kids for me? You with me? Like kind of give them instruction. Goes on to the verse two and says, honor your father and mother. Amen. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. Okay. So what I'm not saying here is I'm not saying this is all bad stuff. This is all very, very good it's all very, very helpful. It's all very, very instructive. You with me? But sometimes, especially as Christians, we kind of like fall back onto the Bible and be like, here you go. This is what, this is what you need. And we're always, we're, we're trying to look for a solution or a thing we can kind of hand to our kids so they will be better kids. You with me? And I'm guilty of this myself. But what I think we see when we look into the Bible, especially when it talks about parenting, especially when it talks about fathers and children's mothers and their children is the idea of legacy. The idea of legacy. And legacy can look a lot of different ways for you. Maybe you have a negative legacy in your family, just a, a legacy of parents after parents after generation after generation, maybe not considering the value or importance of legacy in the, the, the product of that just kind of happening. Conversely, you might think of someone right to mind who like has has generation after generation of parents being thoughtful about how they're leaving a legacy and creating a legacy for their children and their children's children. And, and throughout this series, we want to do a good job of helping you to see in these little places how we can build legacy. And in fact, I, I want to say it like this. Legacy comes from consistency over the long haul. It comes from consistency over the long haul. It's not about the best practices, the best school I got my kids into, the five things I did when they woke up. It's not about those things. Those things can be included absolutely. They're a part of the process, but a legacy comes from being consistent over time. The point of this series is not to give you those, those quick tips and tricks and the things like that. The point of this series is to focus on some things, themes like legacy, like what should we be focusing on with our kids and with ourselves as parents rather than a Christian parent to-do list. You with me? Because a lot of times I feel like just in our religious nature, depending on how you're brought up, sometimes in our religious nature, in our religious foundation, we're looking for what are the five things I need to do so my kids turn out good? Are you with me? We're, we're kind of like searching. You might not say it that way, but you're kind of looking for that. What are the to-dos that I need to do? And, and let me be very, very clear. This is not a message that's coming to you from an expert. I'm sorry. I am not an expert in this. I'm just a fellow traveler that's weary, tired, and worn out. And what I hope to do, especially today, is to help start a conversation with you guys so that we may, might all become more and more like Jesus together. Does that make sense? 
I'm a father of three. I've got two girls and one boy. We got seven, five, and 10 months. It's bananas at our house. Okay. I play with Barbies. That's what I do. I also change diapers. We're doing showers. And let's be honest, it can't happen without the team that is me and my wife together. It's a whole family package. So I'm in here with you. This is not like I'm coming in trying to and tell you this is how it needs to be. And here's the expert. No, 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 no. What I hope to do today is I want us to start a conversation about how we can become more like Jesus together. And, and uh, uh, speaking as a parent, it's re- especially with young kids, okay? I think this is true for any parent. And, and also, before I even keep going further, don't check out because we're going to talk to everybody this morning, not just the parents in the room, but also the people who have parents in their lives, okay? Not just your own, but people around you, okay? So stick with me. But speaking as a parent, it's very difficult to focus on the long haul when you're so entrenched in the now, Does anybody else feel that tension? It's very hard to think about tomorrow or even next week or, God forbid, next year, two years from now, when you're stuck in the now. In fact, I was talking with a friend this morning, and it's their oldest last morning on Kid Street. And that sneaks up on you because we're not thinking in terms of, we're thinking in terms of the now, which is not a bad thing. I think there is a lot of value in being in the now with your kids. But sometimes we can fill the now with lots of busy and lots of things and that we forget to plan for what's coming down the road. So again, I want to share some observations and some thoughts, maybe to start a conversation with us about how we can become more and more like Jesus, just again, from a fellow weary traveler like you. That okay? Okay, so this morning, I want to talk about something that maybe you've not thought about before. Maybe just put some words around something you've felt as a parent, especially if you've, if you've ever had kids who were uh, kind of coupled together in, in a younger part of their life, or maybe as they're getting closer to the end of their time with you in high school, and, and just really any period throughout. Um, and that's the idea of parenting and isolation. Parenting and isolation. And, and I have a tendency to do this myself. And what I mean by this is it's not just like not, not being around other people, but it's the idea of like, not accepting help from others when you desperately need help. And if you want to, feel free to nod your heads with me because this is like an amen corner kind of morning, okay? <laughs> it's about keeping distance from others because of just busyness and life and soccer and dance and basketball. Come on, am I, am I speaking to anybody this morning? Yeah. It's, a, it's a hard balance to, to, to bear of keeping it to where we're, we, don't, we want to be around people, we also don't want to be around people. It's also, we don't have those people in our lives we can go to Or seek advice from when we desperately need it. When we're in the middle of a mess with our kids. Because let's admit it, kids are messy. Kids are messy. And the mess looks different at 10 months than it does at 5 years old, than it does at 7 years old, than it does at 12. You with me? The messes are different. And it can be very, very helpful to have those people in your lives who are just one or maybe two steps ahead of you in the process. Because they can say, oh yeah, we dealt with that and here's what we saw. You with me? But a lot of times we have this tendency because we're so focused on the now that we don't seek those things out. We don't have those people in our lives. We don't have people around us. We, we, we tend to parent in isolation. And so let me see if I can get some more AMNs. Let me, let me talk about today's reality for parents. Parenting is lonely. Parenting is challenging. Come on, y'all know it's true. Parenting is frustrating. And parenting can be isolating. And I, I debated putting can be for these instead of is, but nah, man, that's just a reality. Like if you're parenting kids at whatever stage of life they are, you're going to experience these things. And I think that's part of how we serve our children in an aspect. 
Now, we can either choose to grin and bear it and just say, well, this is just our reality. This is just what we're meant to deal with. But I don't believe that's what God has called us to do as those who follow Jesus. You might even think of people who are in your life who, who understand this, but they just grin and bear it. You with me? And I don't know about you, but that's not the life I want to live with my family, with my wife, with our kids. Does that make sense? I don't want this. This is a reality we'll experience, but here's what God's truth says about us. God's truth says this, that we were existed, or sorry, that we were made in God's image. That's what it says in Genesis when we were created. And that he exists in perfect community. So if we, we were made in his image, right, and he exists in perfect community with the Trinity, with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he exists in perfect community, then we are meant for community. We're, we're not meant for isolation, which is what we see there, and God's not meant to be alone, but we were meant for community. We were meant for community. And when you consider these things, I think it's not just about having a small group with people once a week. That's a good first step. It's not just about like connecting with the moms at, with coffee after the first day of school. Can I get an amen for those who are excited about that this coming week or the next couple weeks? It's not just those moments. It's about looking out for each other and watching for the person who's struggling, who's having a hard time, and maybe raising your hand every once in a while when you're that person. Maybe it's stepping in when that person needs help or that family needs help. Maybe it's lifting others up when they just need someone to say, you're not a terrible parent. You with me? It's this kind of community that I'm talking about. But where do we see this kind of community in the Bible? And I think this is, I'm, I'm taking you back to my childhood because this is, now that I'm actually having this thought in real time. This is an example of how I was poured into as a kid and these things are stuck into my brain. The, the, the youth group I was involved with, the very first youth group I was involved in like fifth, sixth, seventh grade was called Core 247. And 247 referred to Acts 247. It's always stuck in my brain. And here's why. It's a beautiful picture of community. So this is starting in verse 42. So this is all the believers devoted themselves. Now this is right after uh, the apostles just had like a fire, like preaching session and like really big moment of, of people really coming to the Lord and like some incredible things happening. So this is the aftermath of that. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and a fellowship to community and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. It says this in verse 44. It says, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. I'm going to come back to this later when we shift the perspective a little bit. But I don't want you to just think about like the material things, because that's an easy thing to think of. They needed food, they shared their food. They needed a, uh, something for their kids, they shared that with them. Like, yeah, I think that was a part of it. But I also think it was like they shared their time with them, they shared their experiences with them. Like, from what I've understood from the time I've studied this, this experience, this community was not just like they lived in Huntersville and Davidson, Cornelius, and all over. Are you with me? This was like a tight, square, like, area of where, like, they couldn't help but rub elbows and run into one another, which is not a luxury we experience today. It's very different with how they, they lived. They lived in community. They sold all their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. And it closes out... In verse 46 and 47, saying this, they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And what I find interesting here is it continues on saying there's all these things they're sharing. It's not just about showing up for a two-hour block once a week and checking off the box. 
It's not just about having those relationships where you can go a little bit deeper in, but it's actually about having these people you're doing life with. And what I find interesting is what's the result of that? The result of, in each day, the Lord, sorry, go back one second. The result of that, at the end of the sentence was, in each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. People saw that and they were desperate for it because we were made for community. Do you see that? People experiencing Jesus together, folks saw that and said, I need that. That's what I need in my life. But this does beg the question, like, why do we do this? Why do we parent in isolation? Why do we shift towards that? Well, I think there's three big reasons. The first, necessity. Necessity. You just got to do it. Like, I just got to make it happen. In the church where we talk about Sunday comes every week. It doesn't not come. So you got to make sure you're ready for the next Sunday. You with me? Well, guess what? Monday morning comes and Tuesday morning comes and Wednesday morning comes and the lunches and the bags. Y'all, we're getting right back into it. It's that season of life, you know? And out of necessity, we tend to bear down and just kind of push our way through it. We don't necessarily have the family around to help with that. You don't necessarily have the friends that you know who would be able to share that time and, and experience with you. You do it out of necessity. You might also do it out of pride. You might do it out of pride because we feel threatened that if we accept help from others, that means I'm not as good a parent as I think I am. And that's a really hard truth to consider. Because a lot of times, and I, I feel like it's, maybe it's not played on those explicit terms, but like, you know you really could use a hand picking your kid up from that day camp that you're going to have to hustle from your job to get down there. And your friend's like, hey, if you want, I can, I can help you out. I can, get, I can get down there and get them for you and bring them to your house. And you're like, no, that's just going to be, because it feels like now I'm in debt. You're not saying this, but you're thinking, well, that means now I've got to go pick up their kid at some point, or I've got to help with this. And I just, I don't need that. I can, I can do it on my own. I can do it on my own. Nod your head if you've ever felt like this before. Maybe you haven't said it like that, but maybe that little thought has been there before. So maybe it's a little bit of that in there. It also, also could be control. And this is going to get a little sensitive because for some people, you, especially for your kids, okay, and this is, this is not exclusively true, but this is especially true for like first-time parents, for that first kid you've got, you have a certain way that you need things done, and if they're not done that way, then I can't, I can't even imagine handing my baby to somebody. You with me? Now, part of that, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make fun of anybody for that because you got to, that's part of learning how to be a parent, Right? But as our kids grow, we have to scale that because it's unsustainable. We're not going to be with our kids to where we can protect them from every little thing forever. Can I get an amen from the older parents? Come on. So it's not just about that, but it's about maybe it's out of necessity, maybe it's out of pride, or maybe it's because we need to have too much control. And the fact is we live our lives in seasons, okay? This is a very helpful idea that's, that's helped me get through some more difficult times. And the Bible does talk about this. I don't want to get into some scripture about it, but, but we do live our lives in seasons. And some seasons are crazier than others. And some seasons require us to have less margin than others. And I, I think having that thought in your head that this is a crazy season, this is a lighter season, and being aware of that helps you kind of flow through those crazier ones more easily. And in fact, it might help you to fight the isolation. So how do we fight isolation as parents? I have three ideas. First... I think you've got to identify your community. You've got to identify your community. And what I mean by this is maybe by yourself or maybe with your, your spouse or your partner, you like literally sit down and think of who are the people we can rely on when we need it the most. Like who are those people? 
And then once you've identified them, like dig in with them. Like even say like, hey, I really appreciate how we can like help support each other as a community. And if you ever need anything, I'm not saying this to be nice. Y'all know how it is. There's sometimes where it's like, hey, if you ever need anything, let me know. Like that kind of thing. That's like that kind of support. But there's like, no, man, I got you. Like when your kid is doing this and you need someone to be there with your other kids, I'll be there for you. You with me? If you want to be that kind of person for others, it will help them to become that kind of person for you as well. So identify your community, know who they are, and it's reciprocal. It's a back and forth. It's a relationship. You with me? So identify your community. I think that can be very helpful. Two, designate your family time. What I'm not saying is that you need to live your life around people all the time. I just saw like 15 introverts leave the room 20 minutes ago when I started talking about this. That's not what I'm saying. It's good to have time just for your family. That is a good thing. But it can be even more helpful when you like identify this is like our special time or we're like doing it. Like uh, uh, my wife this week, she really wanted to take our girls out on dates because they're kind of getting to the age where like they're, they're more aware of our relationships with them. And so we, we made time and space for her to go and do that. And it was great. It wasn't anything crazy. Like they both were kind of the same. They just kind of spent time together, did something special the girls wanted to do. And it was perfect. It was that specific time for them. Designating that family time gives you the ability to say yes to the other time because you know you're not losing out on the time for just your family. You with me? So designate that family time where it's just for you guys. You don't always have to be around people. And three, be aware of your rhythms. Now, rhythms happen in life whether they're on purpose or whether they just kind of happen. You with me? And the ones that just kind of happen tend to be a little more chaotic. Like, you're not really in control of how we have the bedtime thing happening or how we have the different schedules happening around our kids and the stuff we're trying to get done. But understanding the rhythms of your family and of the activities and of just the life that you're living can help you to understand when you need to say yes and when you need to say no to things. You with me? And understanding the margin or the space that you have in your life. Because if you don't have a handle on those rhythms, you don't have a handle on the ebbs and flows of how your family's working it's more difficult for you to understand when you're getting out of whack. If it's always out of whack, it's hard to know when it's really out of whack. You with me? So understanding those rhythms with your family, I think, is very, very helpful in being able to identify that. Now, this is something that we have a really hard time with, just to be real honest for a second. I, like, we have a hard time with the, the dinner time thing, because again, our kids are 7, 5, and 10 months. Okay? It's buck wild. Between like 4.30 and 7.30 at our house, it is crazy, Right? I know I'm the only one who's saying that, but it's just crazy, and we want to get to a better rhythm of having our kids together at the table, having dinner together, and we hit it every once in a while, and it's great, but we also understand our kids are heading into the season of life where having that specific rhythm is going to be very helpful and very beneficial for them. So identifying where that rhythm is off and where maybe some of the frustration you're feeling is coming from can be very helpful, not just for you and your spouse or you and your partner, but also for your family and being able to fight against that, that feeling that pushes you away from other people and pushes you towards isolation. And so again, I don't want you to feel like this is a, uh, a, a to-do list of like, do these three things and you're going to be great. That's not the point. The point is to start that conversation with you and your spouse, with you and your family. And actually, we want to help with that conversation because on September 1st, this is a Thursday evening. We're still kind of working out the details for this. But we're going to be having a parenting roundtable, okay? 
We're going to have parents from different stages of life, whether it's folks who are just coming out like the younger kids, folks who are kind of coming out of that elementary, middle school age, coming out of middle school, coming out of high school. You with me? People who are just one or two steps ahead of you. And we want to have a discussion, a conversation with questions that come from you guys, questions that kind of plague all parents. And so again, that's going to be September 1st. You're going to hear more information about it, but I want to give you something to point towards because I feel like it can feel very difficult when you, when you address an issue like this and you don't really have a way forward. I think this would be a really great first step to where you might go and find some other parents at Journey who could be that community with you, who say, yeah, that's who I want to be. You want to be that with me? Let's do that together. Let's move forward together. So that parenting roundtable on September 1st is going to be a really great opportunity for you to connect, not just with one another, but also to start to find those people you can point out and find that advice, find that relationship with where you can grow to be more and more like Jesus as you parent your family. And, and if I left you with one piece of advice for the parents in the room, okay? I thought a lot about this, and, and I was like, I almost thought about making the whole message about this and just boiling down to this piece. Be kinder to yourself. Just be kinder to yourself. I think, especially nowadays, in the world of social media where we see so much of what's been curated by individuals for what they want to present, we have this weird thought in our brain that we're the only ones experiencing what we're experiencing. No one else's kids are as bad as our kids. No one else has, has dealt with this. No one else is, is as frustrated as I. I guarantee you, if you're just to pull the room of parents and give a specific thing you're experiencing, I bet you there's two or three be like, yep, me too. I saw that. And it's not just about knowing other people have gone through it, but be kinder to yourselves because you're not a terrible parent because you're experiencing this. You're not a terrible parent because things are difficult right now. There are seasons there are rhythms, there are ebbs, and there are flows. So be kinder to yourself because, again, you're not the only one struggling with that. And the more that you're in community that's honest with one another, the more you're going to realize, oh, he's right. I'm not the only one who's going through this. There are other people just like me who are walking the same road, who are the same kind of area. Well, we might experience different things, but I know that I can be there for them in that struggle so they can be there for me in this struggle. So be kinder to yourselves, parents. So isolation's hard. It's difficult. And it seems like it might be the only option for you because you just got to put your head down. We talked about the necessity piece, right? But I think this is only half the battle. You heard the saying, it takes a village, right? It takes a village to raise a child. And for that to be true, there's got to be a village. And so that's what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about is for those parents... And we're not, not just parents, but we're talking about parents for this series, so don't, don't get all twisted. For parents to feel supported like they cannot, they don't have to parent in isolation, we have to be the village for them. You with me? Especially if you've been there before, we have to be the village. And in fact, we went to a conference last year as a staff, and, and Shin found these stats that just like broke my brain when I saw it. Because guess what, church? Parents aren't looking to us for help. Parents are not looking to the church for help. In fact, here's a couple stats on this. So what, parent, what helps parents parent their kids? So this is the source, like where they're pointing at. This first number is what's helpful. The second one's what's not helpful. They've surveyed over a thousand some parents. Their own parents, like my parents and grandparents, 81.1% helpful, 18.9% not helpful. All perceptions, that's what they think, okay? Family and friends, or family friends, 87.9% helpful, 12.1% not helpful. 
Their churches, 38.1% helpful, and 69 point, uh, 61.9% of them said, I'm not looking at my church for help. That's not what's going to help me parent my kids. And now they might have been t- talking about like what we're doing now. Like we're not the church, big C, like this institution, uh, us, we're not supporting them enough. And that's cool. We'll, we'll bear that burden as well. That's, that's part of what we, that's why we have Nicole and Jill and staff pouring into our kids and pouring into our parents. It's why we heavily invest in the next generation. So we'll own that part, but let's talk about y'all for a second. Like us as the church, they're not looking to us to help them learn how to parent. Another one said this. Okay, here's, here's another study. This is fun. Where do they go for help? So again, the source, what's the percentage? Of, it's their primary place they go to. And then the other numbers, how many of them consulted them at least? Like I talked to them a little bit. So like, again, their spouse or partner, 61.5 is their primary support, but 81.7 like actually referred to them. Extended family, 47.6. Y'all can see all this. This is the number that freaks me out. The places that parents go for help, only 6.1% said, if I got a problem as a parent, I'm going to my church. Only 6.1%. And only 19, less than a fifth of them said, I'm going to go talk to my church when I need help. I'm going to go find people at my church who can help me parent my kids. Help me learn what do I do. Who's two steps ahead of me who can help me do this? They're not looking to church for that. They're looking to a podcast before they're talking to church. And I love podcasts, but this is crazy. And I think it has a lot to do with how we've chosen to be the village for those people. I want to say it like this. Parents will default. They will default to isolation where there is no greater community available. When there's not that greater community available to them, they're going to default to isolation. Let's go back to this passage in Acts. This is verse 44 again. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. So shift that from like the parents who were in the thick of it, kind of doing it. Think about the other people who didn't have little kids. I could not imagine being in the like in, in Jerusalem in that time frame, having a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, a ten-month-old. Are you kidding me? I've got no baby bum. I've got no Netflix. I've got no diapers. Like we're just living life on our own. But there's these other people who are there with them who are choosing to share everything they had. It's not just about hey, what money do you need? They did that. It's not just about hey, who needs you know some food? They did that. But it's also, hey, give me your kid and go take a 15-minute walk so you can be normal again. (laughs) Or, hey, do you need help organizing your nursery? Because I'd love to come over and help you do that. Or, hey, what do you need? Do you need some coffee? Can I come bring you coffee? They shared everything that they had. Not just the things they had, but the time, their thoughtfulness, their experience. And so let's talk about actually being the village for those people in that stage of life, in that season of life, how can we be the village for those people? The first thing, and this is something we even talk about with our volunteers here at Journey, but I want to say, make the ask. Make the ask. So this is something we talk about with our volunteers. We call it a volunteer core behavior, meaning no matter where you're volunteering at Journey, we want to make this a core part of who we are and how we do things as volunteers. But for you, the vill- I'm just going to call you all the village. Is that cool? Uh, the village, y'all need to make the ask. You don't say someone's no for them, meaning... You have a thought of like, oh, someone could use some help with that nursery thing they're trying to put together. That piece of furniture I heard them talking about at church. They probably don't, they probably don't want me to, to bug them. 
They don't need that. Or they've got this thing going on. I, I don't want to bother them. Don't say someone's no for them because you could be the lifeline that they are desperately needing. And I don't know how you believe, but I honestly believe that God uses each and every one of us in the, in the little parts of people's lives so we might have little moments of light throughout our lives. And it's our responsibility not to do everything, but to respond to those little promptings as we see them. So we make the ask, how can I help you? Like, what do you need? What do you need? How can I help you, parent? Make the ask. The second thing, and this is important, this is almost kind of like qualifying everything I'm saying, is respect the boundaries. Respect their boundaries. Be helpful. Don't be intrusive. Meaning, it's not just like helping the way you want to help. You with me? Maybe the way they need you to help them is to like help get their backyard in shape for the birthday party that's on Saturday. And that might not be what you wanted to sign up for, but that's maybe what God's called you to do in that moment. Not only that, but when, like, if you're helping to care for children and you might do things a little differently than they would do them, and you're just like, well, I know better. I can do Respect the boundaries of the parents. Does that make sense? Don't just come in trying to do things the way you want them to be done or how you would do them. This is part of the selflessness of service. It's kind of giving that up. And how do I serve this person is maybe by doing things the way that makes them feel comfortable and not more crazy because I'm now inserted in their life for this piece. Y'all with me? Respect those boundaries. And finally, serve one another. How do you be the village? You serve one another. I mean, that could be the whole thing just boiled down. It's about selflessness. It's not about how you want to insert yourself into a situation. It's about how God would use you in that situation. Because guess what? God's given you gifts and talents and abilities exactly for the moment he's putting you into. So if he's giving you an opportunity that's going to be an important word in a second. If he's giving you an opportunity to serve someone, it's not about how do I put my spin on this. It's how can I be less of myself and more Jesus in this moment. It's about serving one another. And you might feel like, you hearing this, the village, you might feel like, that's a lot, Chris. Like you're putting, I, already, I got stuff going on in my life. I got things happening. I got to do this. I got to do that. And yeah, you do. But if you look at what God has called us to do, especially those who believe Jesus to be who he says he is, that we've accepted his love and grace into our life, his saving grace into our life, and how we're called to be transformed to live in this world, there's more to it than just kind of chucking a few bucks in the plate or coming on Sunday or being in a small group or things like that. It's about serving one another. In fact, uh, I was talking earlier about things from my childhood stuck with me. I heard this probably when I was in middle school, this, this idea that I'm about to share with you from a pastor down in Atlanta, Andy Stanley. And I, this is like an earworm that's never gotten out of my head because it's given me practical handles for how to help other people. Because I, I don't know how you're wired, but you may hear all this and you're like, it's overload, man. I can't do that for everybody. I can't do it for every single situation. Like there's too much hurt. There's too much like suffering in the world. How do I even get a handle on what I'm supposed to do? Well, this passage in Galatians gives us a little bit of light for this. This is uh, uh, starting in uh, chapter 6, verse 9. So let's not get tired of doing what's good, which kind of insinuates that you're going to get tired of doing what's good. That's why he's saying this. Because there's a tendency of where you're like, gosh, I feel a little worn out from doing these things, from being like Jesus, from responding to these opportunities. He's telling you don't do that because at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And verse 10 says this. 
And let's hang here for a second. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, and that word is, is time, the moments, the different moments that you see along the way. If you look at the original language, it's speaking of not just like an event that pops up, but like as you're living your life, these things are going to happen. They're going to present themselves to you. So as God provides these promptings, these opportunities, it continues on the rest of verse 10, it says, therefore, when we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. And what uh, uh, Pastor Andy said there that I will never forget is the way to break this down, to make it practical for you and how you can do this in your life, is to do for one what you wish you could do for all. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. Yes, there's a ton of people who have needs. There's a ton of people who are suffering, who don't have shelter or food, or these like individual things. There are people who need your help. Right in our community, there's so, so many, and that is true, and we don't need to ignore that, but don't use that as an excuse to not do anything. Because I can't do it for everyone, I can't do this. Because I can't watch everyone's kids, I can't do that for this family. Because I can't go and help put that place that together for this family, I can't, or for all these families, I can't do it for this family. Don't use it as an excuse just because you can't do it for everyone. We do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And what that does is it re- removes you from the feeling of like, I gotta be fair, I gotta do for everybody the same thing. No, you don't. The Bible's not fair. Spoiler alert. Read it. If you read the Bible, the Bible is not fair. Grace is not fair. I don't deserve grace. I get it. That is not fair. My mic's falling off. (laughs) Do for one what you wish you could do for all. And some tips on on how to do this, on, on how that gets carried out in your life. First, go deep instead of going wide. It's easy to give a dollar out to like all these different people. It's very different if you go real hard on this one specific project with your time. It's easy to give a couple minutes here, a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there. It's much, easy, it's much different when you go deep into that conversation. It's easy to have lots of different relationships, but maybe find those one or two families that you can really dig in with, that you can get to know their kids, get to know you, that you have that relationship with and go deeper with and see what happens as a result instead of going wide. It's much easier to go wide because they don't really have to know you that well. Oh, you with me? If you go deeper and you build that relationship with them, it's much different in the outcome. Same thing, go long-term instead of short-term. Not just like the little thing here, the little thing there, but like consider the opportunity to go long-term with someone. Just a thing comes to my mind of, I heard recently of a, a, a mom who had a conversation with, uh, uh, someone at our church, and, and they were just kind of chit-chatting. She was talking about how you know, crazy life was with the kids and stuff. And they volunteered to be the village for them. They didn't say it like that, but what they did is like, oh, you need time for yourself to, to work out? Well, guess what? I'll meet you here. Every day you're going to come, you let me know. And after I do this, I'll be here, and I'll hang out with the other kid so you can go work out. So you can have a moment to be human, because that's all she needed. She needed in that moment. He, he listened to the mom, and the mom said, I just need some time to do X, Y, and Z. Great. I can do that for you. Could he do that for everybody? No. But he could do it for her. And the change it's going to make for that one specific mom is huge. Do you see the difference there? Instead of watching a bunch of different kids for five minutes here and there and there, 
He saw an opportunity that was brought to him, and he did for one what he wishes he could do for all. And it's not a one-time thing. Hey, mom, for as long as you need it, you let me know. And as long as I'm in town and I've got this going on, I'm going to be there for you to watch that kid for you. Do you see the impact of just that one little decision to do for one what you wish you could do for all? So my challenge to you would be that to look for those opportunities to be the village for others. In fact, consider those one or two families that are around you right now that you could tangibly do these things with, you could build that relationship with, you could help them to escape isolation in the moments they need it, that you could make the ask, how can I do that for you, that you can respect their boundaries, all while serving people who desperately need it. And guess what? Remember in Acts 2 what happened? When they shared everything they had, where they had that community, many were being added to their number daily, those that were being saved. When we build that kind of community, when we become that church that's known for supporting those around us, not just those in a program, or not just those that we donate money to, not downplaying any of those things, those are important too, but I'm talking about you, the village, who are those one or two families that you can do for the one family what you wish you could do for all other families. I want you to think about that this week. Consider how you can do those things, how you can take steps, how you can help those parents escape isolation, how you can be Jesus for them in the moments that they need it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of community. That's, that's, it's a picture we need to see, and it's, it's a hard reality to find sometimes, especially in today's busy world. God, would you help the parents today who feel overwhelmed, who feel desperate, who feel, God, just not enough? and that it's pushed them in a place of isolation, whether by necessity or by refusing to accept help. Would you soften their heart and, and, and help them be willing to accept the help when they need it? Would you allow them to help others come into their lives to, to carry the burden with them so they might see the church as a place for hope for their kids and a place for hope for their families so that they might be in a context in the community that might make them more and more like you? And God, would you help us as the village around them Take steps. God, take steps to do for the one family that we wish we could do for all of them. And God, the impact that would have if even just part of our village would do that, of how many lives and families and the legacy that will be impacted in these kids' lives because so many adults said yes to doing for the one that they wish they could do for every single one. Would you keep our eyes open for those opportunities, those moments that you put in our paths. God, help us to be aware of your prompting that we might take steps of faith, that we might serve one another, not out of our own selfishness or what we might get out of it, but God, that we might see your light shown in those places. So God, help us to be more and more like you every day. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen.